0: I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. So my faith is way too small. That's what I've decided. I need a lot more than I have. I wish I had more than I had. Darby and I are in the process of adopting. That's gonna require more faith than I have. It's already requiring more faith than I have. Uh, I started a church, I'm trying to grow a church we started, and that's requiring much more faith than I have. And what I've decided is my faith is too small. I don't have enough of it. I need more if I'm gonna get through these things, if I'm gonna be able to face these things. My tendency is when an obstacle like adoption or a church plant comes up, I respond with faith or fear rather than faith because my faith is too small and in luke 17 5 the followers of jesus the disciples the apostles they said lord increase our faith teach us how to have more faith and more and more i feel like over the last few months that's been the cry of my heart i want a stronger faith i want more faith i want to respond with faith rather than fear and so i started thinking about like how do you get more faith? I went to seminary, but I don't know how to get more faith. What do I do? And so I began studying and thinking about and praying about faith. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how do you build an unshakable faith? I want an unshakable faith when an unexpected obstacle comes into my life that I'm not paralyzed with fear. But instead, I believe that God is good even when I don't understand what he's doing. That God has a plan even when I'm not in control. And so this series is really for me. But I think honestly, if most of us are honest, it is probably going to apply in some parts of our lives, too. We probably have children that we worry about. We probably have job situations that we wish were better. We probably want love and a life and purpose. And we all need more faith. We all need an unshakable And so I hope that this benefits you as much as I'm hoping that it benefits me as I continue studying this and speaking through this series. But before we start talking about faith, I think we have to just spend a minute to talk about what we're talking about. To make sure that we're using the same words together. Because if you just mention faith outside in our community, in our city... You might say something like the faith of my Muslim neighbor or the faith of my Jewish friend or people might say you're part of the Christian faith. And all those terms are used in the sense of the religious trappings of what you believe. But when the Bible's talking about faith, it's talking about taking action on a belief in something you cannot see. It's stepping out because you believe in something that you can't see with your physical eyes. That's faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. How can we get more of that confidence in an unseen good God so that we step out with eagerness and anticipation that a good God is going to show up and show off? My tendency when I get to a situation where I'm going to have to step out in faith is I'm going to wait until I've got more things under my control. Instead of saying, no, I trust that God has asked me to do this, and I'm going to step out and do it. And Jesus said that type of radical belief in the goodness of God, that type of faith, can move mountains. And that brings us to our passage today in Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. Jesus has just been up on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John he's been transfigured, he essentially stripped away his humanity and showed them what he looks like as the divine son of God. And then they come down off of that mountaintop experience and in verse 14, when they reached the crowd, a man approached them and he knelt down before him and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus replied, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And then Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him. And the moment, and from that moment, the boy was healed. And the disciples approached Jesus privately. They didn't want to do this out in public where everybody would hear and see. And so they kind of pulled Jesus to the side and they say, why couldn't? we drive it out why couldn't we heal him why couldn't we do it and jesus said because of your little faith for truly i tell you if you had faith the size of a mustard seed you would tell this mountain and i imagine that jesus just gestures to the mountain to the side of them there and says move from here to there and it will move nothing will be impossible for you let's pray lord jesus thank you for your word and thank you for how your word challenges me to live by faith and rescues me from living in fear. God, I pray that you will make us a people who trust in your goodness, even when we don't understand what you're doing in our present. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me this morning, that it will glorify the name of Jesus. Amen. So we see here in this passage, there's a man who desperately needs help. It's a father, and he has a son, and the son is having seizures, and sometimes he has a seizure while he's over the fire, maybe the cooking fire or a fire at night, and he actually falls in and gets burned and almost dies, and he sometimes falls into water and almost drowns, or maybe he almost falls into a well, and so the dad is anxious, he's full of anxiety, because he's like, I constantly have to be on guard because my son could die at any moment. And so you find this desperate father, Desperate father in need of faith. He's in need of help. He's a hurting man, and he's hurting because of his son. And that's where all of us are, right? We have some hurt in our lives where we desperately need God to help. We desperately need someone to help us. And so like this man, maybe you have a child that you worry about, maybe you have a romantic situation you worry about, maybe you have a job situation you worry about, a a financial situation, a health situation, but all of us find ourselves in the same place of this man where we're like, have mercy on me, we're in a bad place, we need help. And outside of even just this room, in this community and in this city and in this nation, we're surrounded by millions upon millions, billions of people in this world who are hurting and looking for someone to help them. And Jesus has this very strong reaction here. He, he, He seems really angry, like almost mean. This isn't what you would expect Jesus to say, right? We usually see this beautiful picture of Jesus with like a long blonde flowing hair or something, and it's like a really sweet message. But here he actually has a really strong message. And he's not talking to the man who's hurting or to the son who's afflicted, He's talking to his disciples and he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? Jesus says, I'm not going to always be here. At some point, you're going to have to trust. At some point, you're going to have to show faith. At some point, you're going to have to believe that I sent you in my power and in my presence. And even when you don't see me, I'm still working. They thought he had to be there to take care of the situation. I think that there's people hurting all over our world who are in need of healing and the church isn't helping. Just like the disciples here weren't helping this man who was hurting, I think if we're honest, most of the time the church isn't helping the people who are hurting. I mean, we can do a lot of things, but somehow we're not helping their hurt. I think that God is most honored in us when we rely most on him. In Hebrews eleven six, 6 it says without faith it is impossible to please God and I think a lot of times we can do a lot of things and we can provide a lot of things to a lot of people but if we're not helping them where they're hurting we're not doing what they need most we're not giving them what they need most. and I think we've learned how to put on great shows and great performances we've learned how to be great speakers or great performers but Jesus is concerned about the hurting people and whether or not we're bringing healing. He's talking about the people who are broken hearted and whether or not we're being a friend. I believe that living and loving like Jesus will transform the world. But I believe that if we're living and loving like Jesus, we're going to take steps of faith and that will practically change the world. I think it'll cause us to say, I believe that God is working, and so I'm willing to take a risk to help someone who's hurting. The disciples here ask, they say, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? This, this man had this situation, and we tried to do it, and we didn't see it done. I think a lot of times we've been convinced that we can do a lot of things without God. We think that if we have enough education or enough training or enough people, enough leaders, enough money, enough resources, then we don't need him. But hurting people will not be healed just because we put on a great service or just because we have great theology or just because we have great teaching or great music. Hurting people are healed when the supernatural power of Jesus is at work in us, See, my lack of faith doesn't hold God back. My lack of faith holds me back from getting involved where God is working. God's not waiting like, oh, if you have enough faith, that's the energy I need to transform the world. God's always at work in the world. But what happens is when I lack faith, it keeps me from jumping in to help where God wants to help with hurting people. See, when I lack faith, when I have fear rather than faith, I don't get involved in the places where people are hurting because I'm like, what am I going to do over there? I don't have the resources to fix that. I can't change that. And I begin to think of what I can do rather than what God can do. And if I'm honest, many times I have more faith in me than I do faith in God. I think I'm more likely to show up than God's likely to show up. I think I'm more likely to sacrifice than God is likely to sacrifice. How foolish. God is always more faithful than me. No matter how big my faith is, God is more faithful. And I start to think that everything relies on me. And as a result, I begin to feel the pressure and stress of trying to do everything myself. Guess what? I can't accomplish much on my own. At least nothing much that matters. In John 15:5, Jesus was teaching... This principle of he's the vine and we are the branches. And he says this powerful statement in John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, obviously, we can do some things, right? But he's saying you can do nothing of spiritual value apart from me. And so when the disciples say here, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we do it? I think a lot of times our churches and us, we're trying to do things in our power and in our strength rather than relying on the unseen power and strength of God, and we're wondering why we accomplish so little. We can gather crowds without God. We can gather money without God. But we cannot bring healing to spiritually hurting people without a supernatural God. And I think we've settled many times for the things that we can do because we can control them, and we can get the praise for them because they're done in our strength rather than relying on a God who we cannot see, who has unlimited strength, we cannot see. Um, The church planting network that I'm a part of, they have an assessment process to decide whether or not someone who says that they're called to start a church has the qualifications and the skills to do it. Now I understand we need to have good stewardship with resources and they're giving resources out to people, but I'm afraid sometimes that we start to think like, if that person doesn't have the skills to speak, or doesn't have the skills to lead, how will they ever start a church? And I think back to the the first churches in the New Testament that were started by unskilled, unintelligent, the Bible says, fishermen, who it didn't matter what skills they had or what leadership qualifications they had, as long as God was with them, something supernatural happened and a church was started. See, I think too often we rely on our education, we rely on our resources, we rely on the things that we can see and hold on to and believe in because we have control over them, instead of saying, I'm desperate for God because I can do nothing apart from Him. We've become quite convinced, and part of this is in our American mentality, that if we put our mind to it, we can do anything. Remember, that's what my parents told me growing up. If you put your mind to it, you can do anything. If you put your mind to it, you could be president. If you put your mind to it, you could be a lawyer a doctor or whatever. They never said minister, but I guess if you don't apply your mind, you become a minister. But um, most of the time, we think if we worked hard enough, if we had enough resources, had enough training, we could do anything. And Jesus is saying, no, the most important thing, helping hurting people, you cannot do without me. The most important things in your world will be impossible without God. You have to believe by faith that there is a God who can do what we can't. And that we can't do what he can without him. A few years ago, I had the privilege of being in India and I was working with some schools that were teaching English to uh, delete children. That's the lowest caste in India, and they were just stuck in poverty. But by teaching them English, they were able to get better jobs and have a better life for themselves. And so it was a Christian organization that I was with. And while I was over there, I had the privilege of meeting with some pastors in India. And they were having an all-night prayer service, and they invited me to come. And I came for part of the night. And um, afterwards, I was asking one of the leaders, and I I was asking him, I said, uh, so what are you praying about? And he said, well, we prayed about a whole bunch of things. One of the things they prayed about was America, and I was really touched by that because I had never prayed for India, and they, here they were praying for America. But they said, one of the main things we're praying about is this revival service that's coming up. And I said, oh, is it next month? They said, no, it's next year. I was like, you're praying about something a year ahead of time? Like, we would never do that. And he says, Alex, that's because you have resources. You have people, you have a place to meet, and you have no fear that the people who come to that revival are going to be hauled off and put into prison or killed. And he says, we don't have any of those things. All we have is God, so we pray like all we have is God. See, I don't pray like all I have is God. I pray like I have resources and training. I have intelligence. I have, you know, whatever. We start to look at what we have and what we can control, and we think, well, I could could get this thing done. Could make this thing happen. And so we don't live by faith. We don't rely on Jesus. We rely on ourselves. We rely on our strength. We rely on what we can control. What would it look like if we acted like we could do nothing without Jesus? Because that's what he says. He says we can do nothing. But most of the time, we act like we can do most things without Jesus. And we just need him in really, really bad situations or really, really big situations. But he says... You can do nothing without me. And then he makes this crazy statement. He says, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain move from here to there, and it will move. I think we have a picture of a mountain here. Maybe. Yeah. So last year, Darby and I took a trip out to Colorado. It was my first time ever out to Colorado. I love mountains. I'm in love with Colorado now. And it was bear awareness Week when I was there, and I love bears. I actually bought this hat right here in this town in Colorado. Um, If I could move mountains from here to there, all those Colorado mountains would just spring up around Philadelphia. You know, like, I'd just be moving mountains all the time. You'd see this big mountain go across the U.S. and land in Philadelphia. People were like, where are these mountains coming from? I love mountains. I would love for the Colorado mountains to be around Philly. I had a neighbor growing up, real eccentric guy, it was in Tennessee, he lived across the street from us. He had 15 Dosh Hounds. First of all, that's kind of crazy. You'd go into his yard and like this wave of Dosh Hounds would like come bouncing across the yard to you. And they, I guess they were nice, but I was a kid and I was terrified of them because they'd snip at you. And so it'd always be me running from these Dosh Hounds. And, um, but he was an interesting fellow. And in the backyard, he was on the lake and on this, across the lake, there was a, a big hill and he used to tell me, he says, I believe that if I have faith, I can move that hill. And he's like, he would go out in his backyard and he'd go trying to move the hill. He's like, one day I'm going to move this hill. He focused all his attention on trying to move this hill across the lake if he had enough faith. And I mean, I would love to throw mountains around. Because I'd be driving down 76 or 476 and somebody cuts me off and I'm like, ha ha, you're in a hurry? Mountain. You know, just drop a mountain right in front of them. That'll slow them down. I'd probably be a super villain, honestly, if I could move mountains around. But I think Jesus is much more interested in helping hurting people than he is giving us the power to move mountains around. See, many times we're more fascinated with the fact of like, does this really mean I could move a mountain around? Like, could I really have that power? And we missed the whole point of the passage is that Jesus is saying, here's a dad who's brokenhearted because his son falls in the fire and he falls into the water and he's desperate for relief. He's desperate for hope. He's desperate to see his son healed. And sometimes we read this and we're like, man, I really want to throw some mountains around. I really want the power to move mountains. I want to be like a Jedi, you know, like uh, telekinetically moving this mountain around. Jesus is interested in helping hurting And many times we're much more interested in seeing his power on display in us than actually seeing his power help hurting people. If we want to see Jesus move miraculously, we have to gain the same love he has for people. See, Jesus is much more interested in doing a miracle in someone's life than he is doing some kind of flashy miracle that just impresses Jesus says here though that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, he's not saying it has to be this giant faith. He uses this picture of a seed and not an especially big seed. Darby made some keychains back here on the back table. Please take one when you go. It's just a reminder of how small your faith can be and God can still do great things. She put a little mustard seed in it. Just as a reminder, they're tiny, they're small. It doesn't have to be very big, but he uses this picture of a seed. What do we do with seeds? Darby plants things on her back porch, on our back porch, and she has a whole bunch of seeds in packets. They never grow when they're in these little packets. They just sit there. And I think a lot of us have our seeds of faith in little packets, and we just hold on to them. And we're like, look, I have some faith. But it's until you bury it in the dirt that faith begins uses this picture of a seed. Where do seeds go? They go into messy, dirty soil. And when you put your faith into a messy, dirty space and you say, God, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I have no control over it. I can't do it on my own. I'm just going to bury my faith in this situation and believe that you're a good God and you're going to bring something out of it. That's when our faith begins. We have to bury our faith in a God-sized dream to see it grow. If you just hold on to it, (coughs) your faith won't grow. We have to look at a situation and say, no, I'm gonna bury my faith into this. I'm gonna take a step of faith. I'm gonna plant this thing and wait. And if you've ever planted anything and grown it from a seed, it takes forever to grow stuff. And you know what's so fascinating? I've learned this more and more as Darby has grown more things Not everything grows at the same rate. Sometimes the soil makes it grow slower. Sometimes the rainfall or lack of water makes it grow slower. Sometimes the hot or cold makes it grow slower. So you can have two identical plants and two pots next to each other in the same situation and one seems to be growing faster than the other. Different vegetables and different fruit grow differently. If you're growing a vegetable, it might take 80 days to germinate. If you're growing a fruit tree, it might be years. And Jesus uses this example to teach us about faith. He says, invest your faith in a God-sized dream. Plant it like you would plant a seed. And he says, you have to wait for harvest. Now, what do you harvest off of a tree or off of a vegetable? You get fruit. You get something to eat, something to enjoy. You get vegetables. But you get more seeds. And when you plant your seed into a God-sized dream, what happens is it grows up. It flourishes, and you get more seeds to plant into more God-sized trees. And something I've realized more and more over the last few years is God brings me into stressful situations. He allows me to encounter unexpected obstacles, not to discourage me, not to defeat me, but so that I plant a seed of faith and so that grows up so I have more seeds of faith, so I can have greater capacity to plant even more seeds of faith in more places. God brings us to places where we have to rely on him so that we grow more seeds of faith so that we can invest them in more places to help more hurting people who need healing as we live and love like Jesus and as we take steps of faith. And Jesus ends this passage here with this crazy statement, nothing will be impossible for you. Man, this feels like there's a lot that's impossible for me. But if I'm with Jesus if my desires are aligned with Jesus, if I have Jesus at my back, Jesus empowering what I do, nothing will be impossible for me. See, faith is the difference between what you can do, what I can do, and what God can do. God can do the impossible. We can't. But if we align ourselves where God is working to help hurting people, we'll see him work the impossible. Now, anytime I talk about faith, I have to take a moment to talk about foolishness because sometimes when people talk about faith people are like awesome i have faith i'm gonna jump out of this window and they you know splat on the ground and break their ankle or something you know um faith does not mean that god is going to empower every foolish thing you do the difference between a step of faith and a step of foolishness is hearing the voice of god if god tells you to jump out of the window First of all, make sure you're not crazy and you're hearing voices. But if you clearly know that God wants you to do something that seems like a leap of faith, do it and trust that he'll take care of the results. But I think sometimes what we do is we're like, well, I'm going to do something crazy and hopefully God will catch me. Uh, I see this a lot of times with young people sometimes when they start hearing about faith and God has given them no direction. He's given them no guidance. He's not being... Using them to help someone who's hurting they're just like I wonder if I could do something crazy and God would somehow Miraculously take care of it. There was a student when I was going to school in Bible college and his family had left him um, His grandparents had passed away and left him enough money to cover all his time at Bible college And so he was going to get his degree and there was a big revival service and a guy came in and he says You just need to give your money to the church and have faith that God will give you more than you give. And this kid was like, that sounds great. So he wrote a check out for $30,000, all the money that his grandparents had given. And he's like, God will just supernaturally take care of my college expenses. And uh, my Bible professor was sharing this story with us. And he said, what happened when the next bill came was he prayed really hard, but he didn't have the money. And so he had to drop out of school. And I think sometimes God isn't telling us to do something. We just say, maybe I'll do something foolish. Maybe I'll do something risky. And we try to force God to show off. If you tell God, I want to take a step of faith, he'll give you opportunities. You don't have to create opportunities. I remember as a younger man finishing up in seminary and praying, God, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And he says, I want you to start a church in the Northeast where your family's from. I was like, oh, that doesn't sound real easy. That doesn't sound real fun. I was like, wouldn't it be easier if I took one of these established churches down here in Tennessee that have a home I can live in and a salary I can have and already has people attending? I was like, no, I want you to do this. And I had a choice. He had told me something. And I could either take a step of faith because I believe that he would use me to help bring healing to hurting people. Or I could say, you know what, I'll take the easier path. It would have been bad, though, if I said, you know what, I'm going to Africa. I'm going to Russia. He hasn't told me to do that, but I'm just going to jump. There's plenty of places to take a step of faith in your life without choosing to somehow try to force the hand of God with a step of faith. So, as we come to the end today, at the end of each of our messages in this series, we're going to ask four questions. First of all, what did you hear today? Now, that could be something I said, could be something scripture said, could be something that the Holy Spirit spoke into your heart or mind. What did you hear? Sometimes we rush so quickly from this into the next things, we don't stop to ponder what we just heard. What do you need to do? Is there maybe a step of faith that God has told you you need to take? In a few weeks, we're going to have a baptism service. And some people are taking that step of faith to follow Jesus in obedience to baptism. What do you need to do? Maybe God's calling you to start a church. Maybe God's calling you to do something as simple as walk across the street and talk to a neighbor. When will you do it? I found that a lot of times I'll say, God, I'll do that. Yeah. Someday. As long as it's not today, I'm happy to do it. If it's today, I don't want to do it. But it, I could die tomorrow and then I don't have to do it. Or the world could blow up, right? And I wouldn't have to do it. Set a time when you're going to do it. And finally, who will help you do it? You don't have to take steps of faith by yourself. While I was deciding to follow Jesus in the step of faith to start a church in the Northeast, I began dating a young lady named Darby Brown. She was working for an organization that started churches. I didn't know that when we started dating. And I began sharing with her, this is a step of faith that I think God wants me to take. And she goes, oh, that's that's what the organization I work for does. We began talking together, and she had gotten a heart for this. And God brought us together not only to be husband and wife, but to be partners in this step of faith. You don't have to take a step of faith alone. We'll help you. Other people will help you. Find someone to help you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for encouraging us to live a life of faith and not fear. God, forgive us for so often avoiding steps of faith. Because we don't want to look foolish. We don't want to look like we just made this thing up. And God, sometimes we're like, I'm 75% sure God said this, but unless I'm 100% sure I'm not going to do this, a step of faith will never be 100% sure. Because then it won't require anything. God, I pray that you will make us people who aren't so interested in moving mountains, but we're a lot more interested in helping hurting people because that's where your heart is. And when we take steps of faith, when we live and love like you do, we can trust you with the results. Even if we don't see them at first, even if they lay dormant under the ground for seasons, we know that you're growing our faith when we invest it in places where there's hurting people. the dirt, in messy, dirty situations here at work. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus will. Amen.